0: I'd like for you to turn to the third chapter of the book of Malachi, and I want to begin reading at verse 7 from Malachi. It's the last book in the Old Testament, by the way, if you have a a little difficulty in finding it. On a memorial weekend, when there were a lot of people away, some some year in the past, I preached from this text for you text watchers, and after the service was over, a couple of people came up to me and said, you need to preach that when there is a larger representation uh, of our church present. So I decided to, I thank Margaret and Michelle for their encouragement <laughs> and that. And uh, I decided to, uh, to go for it in the third chapter, verse 7. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed thee? Here's the answer, tithes and offerings. Thus you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this matter, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Then I will rebuke the devourer of you, so that it may not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes or or shed its grapes, says the Lord of hosts and all the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Now when God created the universe, He created it as a harmonious whole, and He established certain laws by which this universe operates. We might call these the fixed laws of God by which the universe moves and operates. And as long as we are, live in harmony with these laws, they bless us. But if you defy the laws by which God established His universe, if you defy those laws, then they break us or they break you. For example, there is the law of gravitation, the law of gravity. And by this law, as this planet Earth spins on its axis and hurls around in the universe, whatever it does. Because of the law of gravitation we live successfully and safely on this planet even though it spins through the universe. If you've ever watched these uh, clips of the men on the moon you can see the difference there because of the lack of law of gravity. Now as long as I live in harmony with the law of gravity that law blesses me, and I live successfully and safely upon this planet. But what if I said this morning, I, you know, I don't like to be bound by laws. I, I don't want things, you know, binding me. I live under, the, under grace and not the law, so I'm just going to defy the law of gravity. Now, I climb out here on top of this building, and get up on top of the steeple, and say, I don't have to live by the law of gravity and jump off. Well, I might say that I broke the law of gravity, but I really didn't. I broke my own body, you know, on the, on the sidewalk below. For as long as you live in harmony with these fixed laws of the universe, they bless you. But if you defy them or, or get out of harmony with them, they break you. Now, there are certain laws that God has fixed for himself in the spiritual realm, One of them is the law of provision. Now the law of provision simply stated is this, that God is my source and He is my provider and God provides for my needs because He is the source of my need. And the wonder of the law of provision is that God always made provision before the need. And that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. For example, God created water before he created a fish. He didn't create the fish and put him over in the bank, saying, now just bake there a little bit in the sun and relax in a little while. Some of these days I'll get you some water. No, he knew that the fish absolutely had to have that provision. So before he created the fish, he, provi- he, he provided by creating the water. Before he created you, he created air, Oxygen. Now he didn't create you and say, now hold your breath in a couple of thousand years, I'll come back and give you some air to breathe. He knew that that was a provision that you and I would have to have. So before he created us, he created the oxygen, the air we breathe. And the greatest wonder of all in the law of provision is that God provided a savior before there ever was a sinner. He was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world And so before ever there was a sin against God, there was a sacrifice for that sin already made. He is my source, the provider of all my needs. That's the law of provision. Then there is the law of possession. Now the law of possession simply stated is this, that God is not only the provider of my needs, He is the possessor of all that I have. As a matter of fact, God owns everything that exists in this world. We believe that. He said, the cattle on a thousand hills are mine. The silver and gold is mine. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all that dwell therein. So that God is the the possessor of everything that exists in this world. Now watch this carefully. If I live in harmony with the law of possession, then I can depend on the law of provision. But if I get out of harmony with the law of possession, if I defy that, if I say God is not the sole possessor of all that is, then that effects the law of provision for me. Now the question is, how do we get out of harmony with the law of possession? Well if this text is inspired, I think it is, you get out of harmony with the law of possession in tithes and offerings, that, that is, in the violation of tithes and offerings. Now, what is a tithe in the Old Testament? What was its purpose? The purpose of the tithe in the Old Testament was to acknowledge God's ownership of everything. Now, I know there are a lot of peripheral things that relate to that, but the basic purpose of the tithe in the Old Testament was to acknowledge, is the way that I acknowledge God's ownership of everything. Now notice how he represents the law of possession. The law of possession is represented by tithes and offerings, and the law of provision in this text is represented by herds and and cattle and vineyards and fields. So that what God is saying is this, that if I live in harmony, that is, I acknowledge that, that God is the sole owner of everything, then that, the harmony with that law enables the law of provision to be kicked in. I can count on God to provide for my needs. And that's what this text is about. That's what this sermon is about, really. It's not a sermon on tithing. You can breathe easy. It's really, that, that, that's not even really the teaching of this text. That's a peripheral t- thought. It's taught here, but it is secondary. What is taught in this text is the law of provision and the law of possession. Now, I'm not going to get in an argument with anybody about, about tithing. That's, 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 not, that's not what I'm about. I'm not going to argue about whether we live under grace or under the law. I used to have a guy in my church when I was pastoring out first church I ever pastored. has always taught me, he said, well, the New Testament teaches more about foot washing than it does about tithing. He said, we live under the grace now. We don't live under the law. Well, I, I, I came to find out he was just finding those things as an excuse not to tithe, really. Should, could we live, could we give less under grace than we give under the law? And is it true that a person would do less in love than he would in obedience? I'm not gonna get in an arm about that. I think we need to remember, however, that the tithe predates the law. When Abraham met Melchizedek out there somewhere in that place, Abraham gave tithes to Melchizedek and that was hundreds of years before Moses and the law. Why'd he do that? As an acknowledgement that he knew that God was the sole owner of everything. So that the tithe is really not so that God's work can go on. I know some people say, well, we need to give our tithes so that we can pay the bills and pay the preacher. Listen, Jacob had an experience at Bethel with God in which he made a commitment to tithe that was hundreds of years before there ever was a pastor. That's a big question. Now, it's going to be pretty hard for a guy to take a pistol and point it up at the heavens and say, all right, God, I'm coming in to rob you. Give me your money. That's going to be pretty hard to do. That word rob, the only time that that word is found in the Old Testament is found in Malachi 3, as a matter of fact. That's an interesting word. And if you did an etymology of that word, if you traced it all the way back to its source, you'd find something very interesting. The root word for that word that's translated rob is the word Jacob, strangely enough. Now, if you were going to name somebody that was the most deceitful and cunning and defrauding kind of a person, who would you name? Why, you would name Jacob. This guy was a deceiver. He's the guy that had this scam, you know, and got his brother's birthright. He was deceitful and cunning and, 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 and a defrauder. The word there literally means to circumvent. It means to go around. The best way to translate that Hebrew word that's translated rob is the word embezzle. Will a man embezzle from God? Now, I had a preacher one time that told me, he said, boy, my folks got mad at me. He said, "I, I preached from Malachi 3. And he said, man, he said, I stirred up a hornet's nest. He said, people were going around in town saying, and I call them God robbers. He said, really, I didn't. He said, I was just reading from Malachi. I just, oh, really, the language is stronger than that. The language really is stronger than than the fact that a man would rob God. It's much worse to embezzle than it is to rob. And that's true for two reasons. One reason is that, that when I rob something, I'm taking from someone what I don't have the right to handle. If I took a gun, I went down here to a 7 store and I said to that guy behind the counter, give me all your money, he'd be handing me money I didn't have a right to handle, I've never had handled before, didn't have a right to handle that. But if I embezzle something, I'm taking something that I do have a right to handle. As a matter of fact, I have a responsibility to handle. Now, I can remember as a kid, a son-in-law of a family friend uh, got sent to prison for embezzling from a bank where he worked. And I remember all the turmoil that that caused and all the pain that caused. And I, I, I'm, I, one day I asked my dad, I said, Dad, what, what, what did he get sent to the, to, the, to the pen for? And he said, well, he robbed, he robbed from this bank. Well, he didn't really rob from the bank. He embezzled from the bank. He took something that he had every right to handle and the responsibility to handle as a matter of fact and he kept that for himself. Now if the the, the tithe in the Old Testament is an acknowledgement that God is the sole owner And he has given me everything in my hands to handle all that I possess. God has given me the responsibility to handle, and I have a right to handle it. If I withhold that, then I am taking something that does not belong to me, but I have a right to handle. Secondly, when you rob somebody, you may rob somebody you don't even know. Now, if I took a pistol and put on a ski mask and went down, I don't plan to do this, but if I did, I put on a ski mask, went down to the bank, and put that pistol in the face of that uh, guy, you know, Gainesville, Texas, and I, you know, I never seen the guy before. He doesn't know me, and I don't know him from Adam. But when I embezzle something, I take something from somebody that I know. As a matter of fact... I'm taking from somebody in whom has been placed, in me, in in which they placed in me this tremendous trust so that I'm not only taking from them, I'm violating their trust in me, you see. And I'm making mockery of that trust. So that's the greater sin. Now, this whole matter of the provision and possession, the laws of provision and possession, hinges on a basic principle. Now I want you to get this principle, please. If you don't, can't remember, you know any longer than I can remember, you need to jot it down. Because everything revolves around this principle. And I think that if a person can get this principle, then everything else just unfolds. It just turns on a light for everybody. This is the principle. That God always withholds something for himself in the physical realm where man obtains his living to remind man that he, God, is the sole owner of everything. Now, I'm going to say that several times in the rest of this sermon because I want you to be sure and get this. The principle is this, that God always withholds something in the physical realm where man obtains his living to remind man that he, God, is the sole owner of everything. Now, from the very beginning, God has been establishing the fact that He's the one in charge. That's what's going on in the Garden of Eden. That He's the one who is the sovereign God, and He's the one in control, and He's the one in charge. And He wants everybody to know that that He's the one in charge, and He has ownership and property rights to everything that exists. And so in order to do that, He withholds something for himself in the physical realm where man obtains his living to remind man that he, God, is the sole owner of everything. He did it first with a tree. Now he said to man, now here's this marvelous garden. You have all these trees in this garden. Of any tree you can eat, Now, contrary, sometimes we say of every tree, not every tree. If a guy ate of every tree, he'd be as fat as I am. I mean, he said of any tree, of any tree of this garden you can eat except for one. Now, that tree is mine and you can't eat of that tree. In other words, God is withholding something for himself in the physical realm where man obtains his living to remind man, hey, this garden belongs to me. He did it with a tree. He did it with a day. He said, six days you shall labor, but on the seventh you shall rest from your labor. Because God is withholding for Himself in the the physical realm time, time, to, to remind man that God is the sole possessor and owner of every moment you and I have. Now, we need to remember that, folks, by the way. How much time do you have today? Well, you got up, you got all this time. We talk about killing time and making time, et cetera. Listen, time that we have, God has given us a breath at a time, a minute at a time, a second at a time. I mean, he's the owner of it. I mean, he could say right now, time's up for you, brother, and it's over. And so he reserves this day in the physical realm to remind us that He is the sole owner of time. He did it with a city. You remember when the people of God started going into the land of Canaan, and the first city they came to was Jericho. Now God said this to them: this was his command. Now, of the spoils of this city, you can't touch. You can't have the spoils of Jericho. They're mine. Don't you touch them. Now, you know how an army, you know how an army made its living? You know how an army survived back then? They, 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 they survived by living off of the spoils of the, of, the, of the past victory. So they'd go in and they'd win a battle and they'd live off the spoils of that until the spoils started running out and then they'd go out and whip somebody else and they'd keep their spoils, you see. And that's how they, that's how they sustained themselves is they lived off of the spoils of a previous victory. But when they started to go into Jericho, God said, now that you can't have. Because God always reserves something for himself in the physical realm where man obtains his living to remind man that God is the sole owner of everything. And you know the rest of the story, don't you? One man defied that commandment of God and was in violation of that commandment and the whole nation suffered defeat. Now, God did it finally with a year. Now, if you know anything about the Old Testament at all, you're familiar with the, sabbat- the sabbatical year or the year of Jubilee. The sabbatical year was a, a year that was reserved for every, the, the seventh year was reserved for God so that at the, at the end of the sixth year, the next year, the land was to, was to lie and rest. It was to rest. God said, now, this year belongs to me. Now watch this carefully. I, I was preaching this principle one Sunday back when I preached it, whenever that was. And a guy was watching television who lives in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and he called me the next day. He said, where did you get that? He said, I, I literally, that literally turned on the light for my life for the first time concerning what God's about in this matter of, of, of ownership. You know, from the time that God gave this law of the year of the sabbatical, now God's people didn't always observe that law. And they started defying that law. And the time, the period of time from the time they stopped observing that law to the captivity was 490 years. For 490 years, they just ignored this sabbatical, this letting the land rest. And then came the captivity. Now, if, if every seventh year belongs to God and 490 years they lived without giving God His, how many years did they owe God? many of you mathematicians are mouthing it. And you're already thinking, they owed Him 70 years. If every seventh year in the 490 belongs to God, they owed him 70 years. Now let me read you something interesting from 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verse 20. Just listen to this carefully. And those who escaped from the sword, those who weren't killed by the Babylonians, he carried away to Babylon, and they were servants to him and to his sons, until the rule of the kingdom of Persia. When, when the king of Persia, you remember, when he took over, he let them go back to Jerusalem. He says, until the, till the rule of the kingdom of Persia, this is the reason, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days of, his, of its desolation it kept Sabbath, what's this, until 70 years were complete. Now they owed 70 years to God, right? And so he took them out into Babylonian captivity for 70 years, and for 70 years their land rested. And God always has a way of collecting on what's his. you ever notice that? Now, the principle is this that God always reserves something in the physical realm where man obtains his living to remind man that God is the sole owner of everything. And that's what this text is about. Now here's what God is saying. Now watch this carefully. He's saying, you prove my integrity. You live in the acknowledgement that I am the sole owner of everything and you do it my way and you prove me. You, You just test me and I will show you that when you live in harmony with that law of possession, you will always see the law of provision in harmony with you. That's what he's talking about here. Now, have you ever asked God for money? you ever asked Him for anything? Come on now, fess up. you ever asked God for something? I mean, you know, you might be kind of up against, up against the wall, and kind of tight, things were tough. And you just got down on your knees and you said, God, I'm, I'm kind of in a jam. Would you help me out here? You ever done that? Come on now, fess up. Shake your head if you have. Yeah. Some of you. Some of you have, and the others are saying, well, I'm not about to make a move anyway because I don't know what's coming next. Now, if, if if you've ever done that, have you ever noticed you just, you know, you have just depending on God, and it just seems like that it just, he just comes through. Now that has happened, hasn't it? He just comes through with the nick of time. I remember when we were in college and, and broke. I mean, we got we were poor. We got we got down to nitty gritty. I mean, we were hungry, really and truly. And we didn't have any money. And we didn't know any better, you know. And I was kind of hot for God, so we just we didn't know any better, but just prayed, you know, and asked God for it. So we did. I swear it's true. Margaret's here, and she I, I'm. You know, sometimes I get carried away a little ministerially, but you know, she vouched for this. It wasn't long, and you know, we just prayed about it and trusted God for it, and, and we told him we, we were seeking His kingdom and doing His will best we could. And somebody one day knocked on the door, went to the door, and there was a guy there with a pot of soup. Man, alive, that looked good. They had some meat in it even. I mean, a pot of soup, a little, <laughs> little love offering. Now, I know that you now, if you were honest, there have been times when you've asked God to help you out that way, haven't you? And he just seems to come through. You ever wondered where he got that money? where did he get that? Well, I'm gonna tell you where he got it. He got it from you and me. Now, watch this carefully. If God is the sole owner of everything, and here's an old boy over here, we'll just call him Jim Smith. And there's old Jim over here and he's doing real well. And God looks over here and he sees Johnny, Johnny Jones over here and he's, he's kind of up against it. He's kind of having a hard time. You know what God's going to do? He's going to go over here to old Jim Smith. And he's, it, it's his anyway. He says to old Jim Smith, Now, Jim, old Johnny Jones over here is having a tough time. I want you to help him out. You See your brother in need? I want you to help him out. That's where he gets it. Now what's i am trying to be as rational about this as I can this morning you know, for a preacher that screams and spits. I'm trying to be as rational as I can. Now, if I go to God and I say to God, Lord, I'm in an, I'm, I'm, I have a need here. You know what I'm doing? I'm acknowledging that I believe that everything God owns in the first place. And when I go to God and I ask God, Lord, help me out here, that's just my way, that's an acknowledgement my, on my part that I believe that God owns it and He has a right to get it however He gets it. Right? Well now wait a minute. If the tithe is the way in the Old Testament the way God designed for us to acknowledge that He is the owner if I'm on the one hand asking God to help me out acknowledging that God owns it on the one hand and on the other hand I'm saying, no, God, you don't have a right to this. I worked for it, it belongs to me. You know what I'm doing? On the one hand, I'm asking God, I'm saying to God for him to do something. On the other hand, I've denied he had a right to do. You see what I'm saying? So if I live in harmony with the law of possession, then I've acknowledged and I'm acknowledging that God has the right to this, then that gives me the privilege and the right to go to God and ask Him to meet my need because I'm living in harmony with the two laws. You see what I'm saying? Does that make any sense? Now, there are a lot of things that number one son of mine does that I'm probably not that excited about. Everybody likes to talk about their kids, especially when they're doing good. When they're doing bad, why we kind of keep it quiet. But, but one thing my son has always done, he's always been a tither. I don't remember him ever being, from the time I remember him ever having a penny or a dime or whatever, I can never remember that he didn't tithe. That's one thing he has done that pleases his father on earth and in heaven. As a matter of fact, you know, he, he, he's got him a job now and he's out of college and, 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 and no preacher's as good as his daddy. I, hope, I wish he'd convince other people of that. But no pre- no preacher is as good as a father. So he's having a hard time finding a church he likes. But he, So he sends his tithe here. Sends his tithe every time he gets a check. Sends a tithe. I got a little note the other day. He said, somebody's got to pay your bill. I mean, you know, pay your salary. So, so he, 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 sent, he, he, he does that. Now, he called me the other day and he was we were talking and he's talking about his, his roommate. His name is at Baylor. Guys now they're not roommates anymore, but the guy was named John Green. He was a wonderful Christian young man. Wonderful guy. Fine Christian. Well, John's mother and daddy divorced. And John lives in, lived in Houston, so he um, he had a good job in Waco, but his mother needed him down to Houston, so he he decided he'd go and live be with his mother and take care of him. And so he's telling Todd about it. And he said, you know, Todd, he said, I got down on my knees. And it's wonderful how kids grow? I mean, it's wonderful how they grow. And John told Todd, he said, Todd, I got down on my knees and I just told God. He said, God, I know I need to go and take care of my mother. So you're going to have to provide for me a job, Houston. He said, you know what, Dad? He said, in about two weeks' time, he had three job offers. And I told Todd, well, why don't you try that? No, I didn't. I sorry. <laughs> Now, what Todd what, what, what was telling me was this. He was saying, Dad, I made a great discovery. My friend helped me make a great discovery. And when you're faithful to God, that gives God, well, he's always faithful, but it gives God the freedom to be faithful to you. Man, I wish we could learn that lesson. I'm not gonna stand up here and tell you this morning that if you give to God, in fact, somebody in my Sunday school class would tell me about a guy in Dallas that sued the church because he thought the church told him that if he gave a tenth, he'd be returned tenfold. He gave a thousand expecting ten, and when it didn't happen, he sued the church. I'm not about to, I'm not gonna stand up here this morning and tell you that that that's gonna happen. But I have every right to tell you this, that when you live in harmony with the law of possession, the law of provision will be in harmony with you. And that's the glory and the beauty of living Christian life. Let's pray together. Father, now for these moments of decision, Decisions that could decide, for good or ill, better or worse, a life or death for all of us. I pray for your will to be done. Glorify your Son now in this invitation, I ask in Jesus' name. There are three invitations. Look here, please. I was driving back from West Texas yesterday, and I heard this girl give her testimony on a religious broadcast, a religious station. She said, you know, the most wonderful thing that a person can ever do is to invite Jesus into their heart. And he's got these chills. The most wonderful thing that you can do this morning is not to say, I'll be a tither, or I'll be a witness, or I'll come to Sunday school. The most wonderful thing that could ever happen is to let Jesus come into your heart. And long before you ever sinned against God, Jesus died for you because he knew you'd need him. He knew you couldn't save yourself. Have you ever invited Jesus into your heart? Wake up now, kids, and listen carefully. Have you ever asked Jesus to come into your heart? I wish you'd do that today. He wants to come into your heart and be your Savior. There might be some this morning who want to come and place their life in the fellowship of this church. It's time to do that now because God is leading you to do it. And there might be somebody here this morning, I don't know, certainly... Um, something you'd have to decide who would come to say, you know, Pastor, I, I want to make public a commitment to honor and be faithful to God in that realm you talked about today. I want to acknowledge publicly that I will live in a systematic way acknowledging that God is the sole owner of everything I have. You might want to do that. Whatever you want to call it, that's up to you. While we stand and sing, we invite you to do what God wants you to do. Come on, on the first word.